sort of weird annual occurrence that you have a midlife crisis and determ determine that you are a blonde? I'm not fully blonde, though, am I? I'm... It's I'm more a, than I'm a tips. Man, listen, I'm a child of the 80s, so I think it child. looks a bit like Paul Young. A lot of people have said I'm more Limal from Kajagoogoo. <laughs> but it, I, it's, people have said I look a, a lot younger. I look at least 48 now. What, what, what did you not learn from last year? Listen, I didn't have Luciano and Kelso last year, my hair technicians, who are not only great hair technicians, they are lovers as well. And that makes them even better at their job, I feel. I took a picture of a man and said, I want my hair cut like this, I want it coloured like this. And Luciano, bam! It was done, and it looks tremendous. Was that was that picture taken from the pages of Smash It's album from 1989? Uh, you, you Sadly, do, yes. You do look a bit bros. <laughs> he looks a bit like local Amdram recreation of Point Break. <laughs> really? Yeah. You are Swayze. That's not a bad thing. That's got to oh, be a yeah, good but thing. But Swayze now, not Swayze <laughs> yeah. 30 years ago. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. And welcome to our SPM Summer Specials 2019. Um, the food um, can only be described as an upmarket beige buffet. We have provided the kind of food that you, if you were to have a meeting over lunch in your workplace and the boss had promised you you'd get lunch during it, this is the kind of spread that would be created, plus extra Wyeth magic. Pineapple and cheese. Pineapple and cheese, yeah. Because you wouldn't get that. You'd get that at a, a three-year-old's party. Do you know, when I, when I walked in, I was the first here, and I saw the pineapple and cheese, and I thought, hmm, is this a podcast recording, or are we, or are we swinging? <laughs> Hang on a minute, you were first here. I was first here. That's yeah. got to be a first. Well, it's just I've missed so many recently that I, I really wanted to show my enthusiasm, my, my long-standing commitment to the podcast. Yeah, and my only criticism of the cheese and pie, they're quite chunky, Stephen. <laughs> you, you've been generous with the portions well, there. How much that will weigh you down while swinging. How much time do you think <laughs> I, I had, Chinch? I had to buy the, the pre-chunked pineapple. I didn't... I didn't oh. de-chunk the pineapple myself. So you so. didn't get the full pineapple fruit? No. Uh, oh, well, I see. Over the course of the next four podcasts, we will explain exactly everything that we have uh, partaken of. And Chinch is currently having the healthy Watsit. I did think it was a bowl of Watsits, but sadly, it's a bowl of carrots. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are commentator Stephen Wyeth, whose latest professional profile pic does not make him look like a preteen serial killer. Pundit Andy Hinchcliffe, whose latest professional profile pic does not make him look like a preteen serial killer. And writer Rory Smith, who on the New York Times newsletter from the New York Times soccer correspondent looks like a preteen serial killer. I think that photo makes me look quite old. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Definitely young and definitely sinister. It's like Sinister you, I can handle The passport photo That Chinch has framed On his sideboard <laughs> yes, It's yeah. like that But your version of it And 30 oh, years younger Oh no hang on That is a great picture That is my favourite picture Of myself Smouldering yeah. But pre-teen Doesn't ah, quite work okay. So who, who took this picture Of you And when was it When was it done Kate Kate took it mm. Yeah In my garden mm. They needed a picture of me And I don't have Very many pictures Of, of myself Everybody and, else and does. my face. Everybody else. Well, no, does, I, don't, I, I know what I look like. I don't need pictures to be reminded of it. Yeah. So Kate had to take one, and the, the photo that she took was fine, but in some way the New York Times kind of retouched it and made me made me slightly more murderous. I'm not sure why, but to be honest, I feel as uh, I, I feel as though it gives the the newsletter a sinister, menacing edge, which actually actually helps. 
Did they make you look more sinister by putting on a, a hockey mask or something along <laughs> no, those lines? A or? hockey mask would improve me. Really? Face, mm. Face-wise, yeah. You can get in touch with the podcast at Setpiece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com and on Facebook as well. As has become tradition with our summer special series, we are recording all in one go, so we'll consider your no doubt excellent correspondence at the end of the four episodes. Do not think that lets you off the hook, though. Your thoughts are as ever welcome, so please send away. In the meantime, setpiecemenu at gmail.com at setpiecemenu. Also, instead of soccer stories, we're going to have football fun. A new game with a title that's been workshopped right to hell and back. Yes, part one of football fun will be explained and then immediately played a little later on. So are soccer stories now finished? Or no, you're having the summer off, off. Chinch. Is that, that is, that's what's going to happen? You you're have, not say it and then you have a period okay. of sabbatical. Okay. It's because it, it's really hard to take you seriously with that haircut. <laughs> that's also what haircut? Oh, my new haircut. Yeah. It's not a haircut, it's a collar. Yeah, the cut isn't the problem, no, seemingly. The, the, the cut is not the problem. It's, it's it might problem. be a problem. The problem it's lies elsewhere. The when, problem. I'm, when I'm talking to you, you're looking at me, will you stop looking up? <laughs> At my hair. Just look into my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm down here, not up yeah, here. Thank you. The, the problem is, is the, the hair is sort of lemony, lemony yellow and the, the beard is tinged with grey. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you might want to yeah. try and get the hair and the beard to match. I did actually say to Luciano, should I go grey on the hair? And he, he said no. I think he said no. He said a lot of words in Portuguese. <laughs> One of them, I feel, could be translated as no, let's not you do that. You look a little bit like a custard cream. <laughs> Oh, God. So then to the subject that we will be considering over the next four weeks. It is this. What is a legitimate football voice? Everyone is entitled to an opinion. It's just everybody else's opinion is wrong. So goes football these days. And in the Set Beast Menu Summer Specials of 2019, we'll be asking why, how, and what next. Despite some amazing football, great storylines, and actually a title race, the season just passed has been a particularly angry one, with the temperatures rising almost as quickly as Musa Sissoko gives away penalties in Champions League finals. So then, football. How has it come to this when there seems to be an irreversible polarising of opinions? People are shouting at other a lot, whether it's fans against fans, journalists against fans, clubs against journalists. Essentially, we've got to the stage where everybody thinks they are a legitimate voice and everybody else isn't. So, what is a legitimate football voice? We start with episode one, which serves in the same way the first 30 seconds of a news correspondent piece would on a network bulletin. So then, set-piece menu, give me the background to this case. I found it a really... I've actually forgotten now because my, my brain isn't what it once was, but I found it a particularly toxic end to the season and quite... This sounds a bit pathetic, but actually quite upsetting, because it, it should have been this really kind of exciting time for all concerned, to be honest, for, for Man City, for Liverpool, for the teams chasing the top four, for the teams battling relegation. It should have been this really kind of nerve-shredding, tense, but in, in essentially enjoyable. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. they're the moments we live for as fans. Mm-hmm. And yet, all I found was that was lots of people trying to shut down anyone who had any other... Any, any, what they considered any, any kind of dissenting view and that's from kind of weirdos on Twitter to clubs and managers I thought it was really bizarre that, that Guardiola bought into this idea that nobody wanted Man City to win the lead I, f- I found the fact I mean the fact looking back on it now it all seems so ridiculous but the fact that, that the club in some way whether that's the comms team or whether that's Manel, Manel Estiarte his kind of his conciliary must have been telling him that. Does it, Pep Guardiola, now, I could be wrong, but Pep Guardiola does not strike me as the sort of man who's sitting around reading the Daily Mail. Mm. So I would imagine that he was being told, this is what the media are doing. They, they all want Liverpool to win the lead. They all want Liverpool to win the lead. And the fact that, that he bought into it, that 
that certainly City as a club as a whole seem to buy into it. The fact that so many fans on lots of different sides bought into this kind of this endless kind of agenda, this idea of agendas, I just found really bizarre that no one, no one seems to stop and think. And I, and I think journalists get involved with it as well. One thing that's really struck me about the Women's World Cup, which we are in the middle of, is that there's, there's been a, a real spate of, um, of pieces about saying people who don't like the Women's World Cup shouldn't, should, shouldn't kind of bore on about it and say... And, and sort of say that it shouldn't be on TV or that, you know, why are you sho- shoving it down our throat? Marina Hyde wrote a brilliant piece about the different type of men that you get criticised in the Women's World Cup, yes. which was spot on. But, and it, it's almost heresy to criticise Marina Hyde, but who's doing it? It really, genuinely, they're, they're, they're in Britain, and to our international listeners, we should, we should probably explain this, is it's, it's quite an important context, that we are, we are kind of a four-channel country. So Kate, my wife... We'll, we have like 400 channels on our TV package, which is too expensive. If anyone wants, want, anyone wants to give me a, a discount, then mm. feel free to get in touch. Let us know. But Kate will sit there, and this is not for a minute criticising my wonderful wife. Mm-hmm. She will t- get the remote. She will do the various complicated things you've got to do to actually make the TV work. And then she will do BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four. There's nothing on. She'll watch a film. And you think we've got 400 channels or some sort. Like you haven't even dipped your toe in the water and I and I I think that gets lost that quite how much kind of mental space the BBC in particular occupies in the British media landscape and BBC One in particular occupies in the British TV landscape there's a great line in in Alan Partridge in the letter that he wrote to the BBC staff before his new series where he said that he he continues to watch BBC One's programming regardless of its quality (laughs) and there's a huge there's a huge element of that we've spoken about that before on the podcast how it's it's wallpaper for a lot of people particularly people older than 55, 60 yeah you you turn the TV on it comes on on BBC One and you just leave it that's that without criticising the BBC makes for excellent metrics I think a lot of people in our sort of sphere have the same thing with Sky Sports News Me? they just put it on yeah, you I do, do for example. I confess yeah. it, it would be on right now if it wasn't for the fact that uh, we don't need any distractions today <laughs> oh you turn the cricket on yeah. I turn the cricket on yeah. <laughs> the cricket was on the, so I think I think that's that's really important to understand that the, B, that the BBC when something's on BBC One it is, it, it is reaching a huge proportion of the population during Wimbledon every year, obviously Wimbledon's often on BBC One, you get a, a number of people who will complain that EastEnders has been cancelled or DIY SOS has been cancelled to make way for Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic. You'll get people complaining about why has my TV programme disappeared to make way for this tennis, this tennis nonsense. <laughs> and to be honest, I think in terms of tennis, we all agree with them. <laughs> but particularly if it's Roger Federer, they also used to do it when Champions League was on ITV yeah. and it would move Coronation Street, yeah. that would have the same... And you the have, inquest, the, you the, have the, same, the same demographic would complain that sport is getting in the way of my soap opera. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like, not everyone likes sport. Not everyone wants to have it on TV. It's fair enough. A lot of the people who are complaining about the Women's World Cup being on the BBC are the same people. It's not that they hate women or they hate women playing football. It's that they don't think that any sport should get in the way of DIY SOS. And as anyone who's seen the presenting of Nick Knowles would tell you, mm. that's probably yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've all had work onto our houses recently. Exactly. So, you know, we've we, we benefited exactly. from that programming. So I think if you take those people who are just kind of general complainers out of it, you have a tiny proportion of people who are whinging about women women's football not being very good or 
it shouldn't, you're trying to ram it down our throats, I'm doing the, quote, the quotation marks. But they are a relatively small proportion of people. I've not met anybody in real life who's, who's I know plenty of people who aren't watching it, who just say they, they're not bothered by it, or they, you know, they're maybe a bit sick of football, or because they're not engaged with the characters, they don't, they don't feel a, a bond to it. And that's a bit of a shame, but it's, fair, it's fine. Like people, people like some stuff and don't like other stuff, it's whatever. But you've got this huge, this, this huge, this huge like, slew of articles about you shouldn't be, be criticising the Women's World Cup, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing the other, which is being written basically by journalists for a small proportion of people on Twitter. And to be perfectly honest, to me, and I'm going to try and li- live by this rather than just say it and then ignore it. Die by it. <laughs> yeah. It, just ignore them. Like, who cares? It doesn't... This, like, John B24789021 on Twitter saying women With should be... eight in, followers. Women should, should be in the kitchen. Like, I'm not being funny, but his opinion does not matter if he's even real. And, and I, I know you said it was heresy to... Um to criticise Marina Hyde, but at least Marina Hyde did it with humour. Oh yeah, and, yeah, no, it's and, a great piece. But I just, I don't, I think a lot of that, a lot of these objections to it are, are people on Twitter being controversial. Just ignore them. They don't, they don't matter. If if Marina's run into loads of people in real life who are doing that, then that's fair enough. But to me, a lot of it is kind of this is what idiots are saying on social media. Just ignore the idiots. And I think that that is kind of what what happened with the with the end of the season with that toxicity that everyone was just talking to this relatively small proportion of people who'd taken it far too seriously mm. and what was a real shame was that the, the, cl- the various clubs bought into that the managers bought into, bought into it that the, this kind of siege mentality seems to be such a knee-jerk reaction that it, it brings the level of discourse down it just makes every, everyone is just shouting constantly and it doesn't help it's like that thing where if you have 99 people with evidence of climate change and one person who is a climate change denier, that view seemingly has to be represented yep. in the same way as the view of 99% of the, the population. And I think it was Paul Hayward, sorry if it wasn't Paul, who made a really interesting point on Twitter recently when the BBC in its sort of uh, text commentary used a, a, a Twitter quote from just a, a random person, which was in a really obscure, extreme viewpoint on whatever the... The contest in question was. It was, it was the women's. It was the women's world cup. I'm sure it was. But uh, and Paul Hayward made the point. Said we all need to stop doing this. Yeah. because if, if we feed this stuff into mainstream media analysis of sports, then we are somewhat legitimising a voice which is so far on the periphery that, as you as you just said, we should be ignoring it. So with this aggression that you talked about, was that then? when City actually did win the title, the amount of City fans that seemed to take pleasure in Liverpool not winning the title rather than celebrating their own team winning the title. Yeah, I, I Was that unusual as well? We don't normally see that with a team when it wins, it celebrates its own victory. Yeah. But maybe this, this aggression or the upswing, is that, is that something that's happened over the last year, two years? Has yes. it been coming? How, how long has it taken to get to this point? Because if we're using this first episode of R4 to, to kind of refer back to the journey thus mm. far, mm. which reached, reached its zenith, perhaps with what we've been talking about, particularly with the Women's World Cup, by the end of this uh, series, the Women's World Cup will be over. Um, so are we talking about something that has escalated extraordinarily over the last few months, or has it been growing and rising over the last number of years by your experience? I think it's probably, oh, I mean, it's only my own, my own kind of perspective on it, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a natural ever, it's, a, it's just a constant slide into the kind of, into the pit, really, that we, 
we seem to be kind of circling and circling f further and further down, spiraling, if you will, um, because and unable to escape. Because, yeah, I mean, if you if, if you just if you go through it, you fans refuse to listen to other fans. One of my favourite things on Twitter is, or any, any in fact any form of social media, is fans laughing at fans of other teams mm. behaving in exactly the same way yeah. as they behave about their own team. Mm. And I just I, I just the, the lack of self awareness staggers me. But y so fans don't listen to other fans. Fans hate journalists because they think that journalists are unfair about their team and that they're doing it for some sort of... Or do the clubs promote that to their fans to say we're, we're being treated badly let, by the press? Let me come on to that. Oh, James. right. Sorry. Sorry. So fans hate journalists because they feel that the journalists are biased against their team. The fact that all fans feel that doesn't ever seem to... No one... Very few people, though certainly there's a, a subsection of supporters who don't seem to notice that. The club, the that is an extraordinary thing just before you go yeah. on, isn't it? That, that a group of people would dislike the vessel from which they get a majority of their information. Because effectively, if, if you're a football fan or a fan of a club and you say, I dislike journalists and I distrust them, then you are effectively saying, the only source of information I want is that that comes directly from the club, yes. via the club website. Mm -hmm. And surely there is nowhere near the depth of But there's the tribalism, yeah, Steve. Exactly. Is that not the tribalism? I'm, this, the, my, my club is my tribe. I'm not going to listen. And they've told me not to listen to anybody else, so I only listen to them. But I think those same people that say, I dislike and distrust journalists, are also the ones that would complain that there wasn't enough on the club website yeah. mm -hmm. to satisfy their thirst for information because they want a broader perspective. So make your minds up. But there's a, there's a, there's a broader social thing going on there, isn't there? The, the, the sort of distrust of the mainstream media that you see in politics as well, and people generally kind of drifting towards really bespoke news services that, that speak to their prejudices or their, their preconceptions. So Brexit's to blame for all this, then? Well, no, Bre Brexit is part but of the same phenomenon. It is I a sporting say. Brexit. It mm. is, a, and what happened in the American presidential ele yeah. election, what, is, what has happened since Trump was elect elected, the whataboutery, the bad faith arguments, the fact that every single argument seems to be played out with the rules of a zero-sum game. Yeah. Either you are or you aren't, and there's no nuance yeah. in between. And all these things are happening and being reflected. As you said, Rory, they are part of society at the moment, and yeah. it's understandable, as we have said so many times, going back more than two years, that they are reflecting each other. And we all have our own echo chambers, and that's where they're receiving But I would from. say that we that this all manifested first in sport than it did in... Absolutely. And it's interesting, actually, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine in New York the other day about the... Was you it know called Mitch? Or, <laughs> or Chuck? No. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Uh, Aren't they the names of two of your floor managers, Chinch? They might happen to be, but they are American -y names. No, yeah, aren't but they? neither of them American. Don't say he's called Dave Jones or something because this kid. Dave Jones, the architect. The architect. <laughs> 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 Give him an American. So one of your, you were speaking to your friend, Kevin. Oh, that's uh. okay. No, that's, that's okay. That's and okay. For, as, I mean, a friend. I've never met him. He's a colleague, but he's in New York. Uh, we were talking about a potential story about um, fan media. So every club now has them. There's like the Blue Moon podcast. There's 9320. One of my favourite things about the City thing was a conversation with, with someone who told me that there's a reason that Man City fans are drifting towards their own media uh, because they don't trust the mainstream media uh, in a way that no other club is. And you think, no, literally every club is doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, lads, pay attention. <laughs> and You're actually catching up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's the Anfield Rap, there's Arsenal Fan TV, there's various ones at United. Every club has got its own fan media. And to an extent, always has because of fanzine culture. N apparently, that does not exist in the States. That, like... Fan that th those fan outlets that will give you basically everything you need fr from a, from a purely kind of Arsenal Arsenal perspective. Is that because they have such a thriving 
local sports talk radio and sports Possibly. media Don't which know. because the country is so disparate you have markets which are to our to our minds huge yeah. but they are their local markets mm-hmm. for example if you're in Houston you're just going to talk about the Houston teams that's the thing okay New York is a huge market and you've got two teams in the NFL for example you've also got two teams in the MLB and you've got um, two if you, you're taking the Islanders as well you've got two in the NHL but they can they can kind of sustain that and they have huge sports talk media there but they so they don't necessarily have it fan-led or club-led because they are satisfied with, with that yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. bespoke, hear what you want to hear. Yeah, and I, But yeah. they're often very critical, though, I must say, yeah. um, in comparison to what we've just been well, talking I mean, about. It, I mean, the fan media in this country can... I mean, Arsenal Fan TV were very critical of Wenger. Arsenal Fan TV kind of went a bit performative so after Fan while. media as opposed to club media, yes. Yeah. There's a demarcation, you're right. So... But it was in, I th- thought it was interesting that, that that stuff doesn't exist in the States. That same revolution hasn't happened. The... The problem I think you've got with, and that all of that is a good thing, that those outlets exist, because it's only right that they should. And some, some of them are absolutely excellent. The thing that I find odd is the fact that people genuinely seem to believe that the only voices that are legitimate are the ones that say what they want. I find that, I find that really odd, given that fans are the most critical of their own teams. That they, there, there is certainly a, a subsection of fans who meet criticism from the outside of their teams by uh, accusing you of bias and agenda and what have you. And I think what's really worrying is that, to bring it on to Chinch's point, yeah. is the way finally the way the club <laughs> the way the clubs are now to an extent weaponising that to try to delegitimise any criticism. So you not only do you have clubs telling their managers that that. that the papers want Liverpool to win the league, but you also have clubs encouraging former players who are on television to go on not to give their honest opinion of the game. I've told you the story of being approached by someone at Man City saying, can you not be our guy in the media? And I said, well, I think you're doing a pretty good job of, of convincing people you're brilliant by being brilliant on the pitch. Do you really need me? to? Ba-? But clearly the clubs are looking at it from that point yeah. of view. We need a spokesman. We but need someone banging the drum for us. Right, so, so, so why is this a new development in this? Why, why can a club not be satisfied with what is, a particularly a successful club, by what is transpiring naturally without any of this happening? Why do they need to feel like there is an extra layer of conviction that needs to be going on here to who are they helping because the fans already believe it are they are they as we've been speaking about on, on this podcast before but shoring up their base and not caring about the independence is that is that only what matters to them or are they seeking to be seeking to be so controlling of the message that they are not they have their own they are creating their own echo chamber outside of which they do not care what people think and they would rather think this yeah but to use the city example and and what that situation that chinch has found himself in that's simply a consequence of how accelerated city's rise to the top of the game has been Mm. that they don't have players falling away at the end of their career and going into the media yet and those perhaps who have reached retirement age are not necessarily first language English speakers so aren't the most suitable to be television or radio pundits or to have newspaper columns because that just wouldn't that doesn't quite sit in the same way as the established voices of Manchester United and Liverpool and and Chelsea who have all long since had that opportunity to reach the peak of their careers and then turn turn themselves into pundits but it wouldn't make me much of a professional broadcaster if I said yes I'll do that for you so regardless of what I think about Man City I'll just take the party line and say they're brilliant they're brilliant they're brilliant regardless of what happens I can't do that's not being honest to me if City are brilliant then I'll say they are if they aren't 
my job as a broadcaster is to say they're not and they need to improve in that regard. But again, if you're just going into uh, broadcasting and, and thinking, I, I have to, this, this is the path I've got to follow, you, can, you have to fall down at some point because you, you can't believe clearly everything that you're saying. You're having to say it and you're forcing the issue when it's not what you truly believe. So I will simply not do that. I might be wrong about what my opinion's about different clubs, and we talk about all the clubs, and I might well be wrong, but I still, at least it's my opinion, and I can be kind of turned to think another way, or I can possibly be right about it. But I can't manufacture how I think about a club. I think that's completely ridiculous. But isn't it interesting that that's how, the, and I don't think City are alone in this, that's how the clubs see the role of the co-coms. I, find, I, think, I think that's fascinating, that they think that it is that if you played for that team, for a team, it is your job not to say this is what's happening on the pitch and this is why it's happening and here's some analysis, but to defend your colours. I think that, that I've had that criticism as well when I commentate on Man City and they win 6-0 and I say, well, they, for, for, for Man City today, they were probably 70% of their best. How can you say that? You're a former City player. I'm a professional broadcaster and that's my view of what I've seen. I might be wrong, but I'm not just going to say they were brilliant because you want to hear that they were brilliant. And me saying that they, they weren't or they, there's a percentage of the game that they can improve on, that means I'm doing City down. I'm doing my job. You have to see what my job is all about and it's not to bang the drum for, for City. And is there no satisfaction in having people like Gary Neville, Manchester United and Jamie Carragher, Liverpool... this is Liverpool. where it's come from. But this I, is, I no, think, I where it's come from. But they, that they are vocal supporters of their own team and, mm. and that is understandable and as has happened over the last few months particularly, it is the vocal nature of particularly Jamie Carragher's support of Liverpool yeah. which is, which is I think, tipped Manchester City's reaction into the, the kind is, of right, slightly yes. hyperbole that, that but it was. But do they not... Do, do, I, I don't know. I haven't asked them. But do they not get the same satisfaction, or even more satisfaction, of having Gary Neville saying I think City are brilliant, having Jamie Carragher saying I think City are brilliant? If you're getting people like that to say City are brilliant, and you think that there's an inherent bias, mm -hmm. then surely you would not need anybody from from for a former Manchester City player to say it because there is an a, uh, an assumed bias in that, and so that surely then lessens. I was just I was just amazed to be approached. I agree with absolutely everything you said. And City's performances on the pitch, week in and week out, are setting standards we probably won't see kind of reached in the next 10, 20 years. They're, they're that good. So why you'd need to come to me and say you need to be our guy out there? You don't need a guy out there. You should be stepping away from that and saying, well, maybe other clubs have got their guys doing that. And these guys as you mentioned with, with, with Gary Neville and Jamie coming along at the time that they have and the way that they how passionate they are about their clubs great that's what they are but every club surely doesn't need one but they're so used to controlling so many different facets of what goes on around the club whether that's the type of food the players are eating the, the training not regimes as good as well, no, these, obviously these crunchy watsits uh, are amazing it's not a beige buffet to meet this that, ah, that they, they don't <laughs> appreciate that what Carragher and Neville are doing for example that's organic and as a consequence of those being homegrown players who have pretty much played their entire career for that one club mm -hmm. and through what they've achieved on the, the pitch and through their profile have subsequently found themselves in the media and therefore they are deemed to be voices that reflect the club where they spent most of their time playing. Manchester City see that, they hear that, they think we want a slice of that action but do you know what that is going to have to take time. Yeah. That is a generational thing. You can't have it on the back of, well, we've done really well for the last five seasons, so now we need a, a voice in the media to truly reflect that. It will happen. In 20 years' time, our kids will probably be watching television, listening to the radio, whatever, and it will be a wash 
with former City Manchester players. City players. Yeah. And, and other Carlos clubs Tevez. will... will yes, Mario, yes. Mario <laughs> Balotelli. They will launch campaigns saying that, look, everybody wants Manchester City to win the league and we need to, to start to redress that battle. Glauber Bertie. Listen, Glauber Bertie, I, I imagine if you were to ask any Manchester City fan would tell you that he is right up there with all the club <laughs> legends. Steve, as ever, has hit upon, I think, the crux of the issue, though. And I'm conscious I've said many words on this podcast episode so far. Your many words are welcome. None of them have, have made any sense. <laughs> Your voice is slightly so illegitimate. I, I personally th- have a slight problem with the way that Sky with Neville and Carragher and BT with Strolls and Ferdinand, but particularly Strolls, turned them into United and Liverpool novelty acts. I, I don't. Uh, Chinch obviously has Chinch has put his microphone down. He's not going to say anything that might get him in trouble with his main employer. He's already got to, got to go back into work after the summer holiday with a ridic- ridic- ridiculous haircut. <laughs> So it's not, you know, there's a lot of risks that he's running as it is that, you know, Martin Tyler will see that and think... Martin Tyler has seen it, and he is mightily impressed. <laughs> so I don't like the fact that, that with Strolls in particular, with BT, there was that... I think it was under, was it under Van Gaal, when they basically they'd get Strolls to do every United game because they knew he'd slaughter them afterwards. And it made good, good TV in inverted commas. And the conspiracy theory that it, he was being fed stuff to say by those dissenters yeah. within Manchester United who would like that opinion um, vocalised yeah, and they weren't, able, yeah. they weren't able to say it themselves. Which may or may not have been true, but it added to the, the idea that it was good TV. In the same way, I don't, I don't think... I think Jamie Carragher is an excellent co-coms, but I'd be inclined... To, I, I was brought up to think that the co-coms was neutral, and I don't like the fact that he is not neutral. And that's not his fault, that's the fault of the producers at Sky who are telling him not to be neutral. And it's the same with Neville. You're not there to support one team over the other because there will be fans of the other team Mm. watching. And to be honest, in the case of United and Liverpool, there'll be a certain number of people watching who want United and Liverpool to win as they are United and Liverpool fans. And literally everybody else wants them to lose. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is thinking, I I really hope United win this game, I hope Liverpool win this game. So I have a problem with that, that model. But what Steve said that really, that really, I think, captured the issue. He's, Steve's just off mowing the lawn. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? Just the whole of the Didsbury-Withington border is currently mowing the lawn. No, nowhere around here has enough grass <laughs> to genuinely bother having a lawnmower. So I don't know where this is happening locally enough for us to be able to but hear people it. People listening to this podcast will think that's a sound effect to make it sound really <laughs> summary. It isn't. It's a genuine See, Mountfield lawnmower. You throw open the bifold doors, Stephen, and you have a wealth of suburbia rushing in. And if you're looking for a lawnmower, go for a Mountfield. <laughs> I don't Chinch. know if that's actually a legitimate brand. Chinch, we are Mountfield is. I've had a sit-on Mountfield and a, a push Mountfield. They are tremendous. If you're Was after a lawnmower, folks... Go for a Mountfield. You, you had a sit on Mountfield. Was it Derek Mountfield? <laughs> oh, no. He's not a horse now. He's retired. <laughs> but what struck me is... <laughs> oh, yeah. In all seriousness, he is Rory. <laughs> I think what Steve said is really interesting, that, that we are so used to thinking of all voices. We're so conditioned to thinking that all voices are biased or agenda-driven or in some way confected that Man City, and this is not an anti-City thing, don't think Jamie Carrad and Darren Neville are like that because they're United, former United and Liverpool players, so it, they, there's not a vast amount they can do. They're going to be like that. Of course, they're going to support them. They, they, they assume that it's part of a... It's proof of some broader agenda or it's proof of the, 
the inherent bias towards certain clubs and against other clubs. We have got ourselves into a situation where we don't think any voice is legitimate. So it's legitimate that that Gary Neville supports Manchester United. Of course he supports Manchester United. He's a Manchester United fan. He played for them. He wants to be their sporting director. He is, he's building hotels around Old Trafford as, as fast as possible so that he can always see it. <laughs> and Some of those high buildings in Manchester, he's got a good vantage point as well. He really has. It's just all... It's, all it's like real-life monopoly, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's all to do with, with Gary Neville desperately trying to get Old Trafford's approval. Is Gary Neville playing The Sims? He's playing The Sims, <laughs> but a special version of it where it ends with him being Man United's captain. <laughs> So what he's saying is authentic. Like he's an authentic voice, an authentic Man United voice. You can make it. A, make, there's an issue over whether what you want in that role is an authentic Man United voice. I would say that that's not what you want. But that's not. I presume Sky have done studies on this and found that actually, that is what fans want to hear. That's what resonates most with their audience. But also, when he joined Sky, he uh, had that to fight against and gained authenticity because of his excellent yeah. analysis. Yeah. So I wonder if they feel now because he had done that work, go and be as biased as you it, like. He, he can. He can. Yeah. It wipes the slate clean. But we are so we. The conversation around football now is so toxic and so stewed that we don't think any voice is just authentic and honest, even if we don't like what it's saying. Again, not to pick on City, but if I could try and make them see sense, I'd point out it's, it's what, 10, 15 years since Gary Neville won back-to-back Premier League titles as part of the Manchester United side. City have just done that for the yeah. first time. So you've got to give it 10, 15 years before those players have come through the wash and out the other side. And actually, do you know what? If you're looking for an equivalent, Vincent Company might be a good example, but he's already... You know, laid down a marker as to what he wants to do next with his career. You might actually be looking at someone like Phil Foden. Does he go on and have a decade of brilliant success with Manchester City, and then perhaps he becomes that voice? Yeah, but surely if he starts, if he does go into broadcasting, what, what's wrong with being balanced? Yeah. Do you, no, do you, again, it's everything's got to be. You're either it's black or white. There's kind of no grey here. You can't say City great or City or poor when they play well or they or they don't. You've got to be saying they're brilliant every th- why, why do clubs but need people to, to go down that road sorry to clarify that's kind of what I mean is that, that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher aren't out there cheerleading for their former clubs solely mm. that might happen as a consequence of, of the, the job but they are equally providing balance at other times even mm. if their team is playing or if they're not they're still doing the big games not involving their teams the point is that for Manchester City, that will take time before yeah, yeah. they have that same voice and, and they, they can then identify with somebody in the media who they might get a sense is doing that for them. <laughs> Who's doing that Mo Salah, you little dancer thing that Jamie yeah, Carragher yeah, did yeah, with yeah. the late winner against Tottenham? The, the, the way that City probably would say they see it is that they want someone who they feel is praising them fairly and criticising them fairly, and that's something that they, they maybe only feel you can get with a former player. Now, again, to me, that's misleading because what what they it, a it's based on a false assumption. Is I would say that former players, when they when they criticise you, they really stick the knife in, and they often do it because they've got an agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's actually you actually have more of a problem with a former player who's got a an axe to grind than you do with a former player of a different club who doesn't actually have anything against your team to other than take, he used to play against. Take Skulls for example. Yeah, Skulls is brand and is affinity with Manchester United fans is stronger than any criticism he makes of any hierarchy at yeah. Manchester United so he can afford to do it. Yeah and also we presume that Strolls had a reason for making those criticisms, for being quite so outspoken in his criticism uh, we're not entirely sure what it is but we presume that there was a reason for it 
So I would say it's a double-edged sword having lots of former players in the media, but I think, again, it's interesting that from the club's point of view, outsiders are not capable of criticising fairly. That's a really interesting position to be in, in a kind of football ecosystem. We should explore that in at greater length in, f- in future episodes. We should, maybe. absolutely, in three future episodes. In fact, coming up next week, we consider the relative values of theory versus experience. What is the balance between studying it and doing it? And which has the more legitimate football uh, voice? That is in part two of our SPM Summer Specials. Now, because asking Chinch to provide four hilarious tales about his playing days in quick succession would be simply too much. He did only manage seven caps in a 16-year career, after all. Over the course of our summer specials, we will be replacing soccer stories with Football Fun, the game so vaguely titled it serves no purpose whatsoever. It is a test of our commentator, writer, and yes, pundit's football knowledge. A search, if you will, for the legitimate football brain. Uh, if legitimacy is determined by knowing notably oh, irrelevant pieces God. of trivia. I can, gar- I can already oh. guarantee the one thing this is not going to be is fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, I may have mentioned before that my mother-in-law provides me every Christmas with a football trivia daily calendar which in turn provides me with daily football fun. You see where the name was workshopped. Fun, yeah. Well, we're nearly at the end of June, so uh, there have been a lot of questions, both posed and answered by my internal voice, legitimate or otherwise, so I thought it would be fun to see which of Rory, Steve or Andy could be crowned the football fun champion of 2019. This week, and in the subsequent three, I will be testing the three of you with seven quiz questions. One for each of the England Caps, one yes. by Andy Hinchcliffe. And after four spellbinding rounds, we will see how many out of 28 you can get right. Interesting fact. Uh, turns out when you get like pieces of strap paper in Steve's house, yeah. they come with uh, European qualifiers, oh, yeah. facts and figures <laughs> on the back. Yeah. So I've got Georgia against Gibraltar. Hugh dumped this on me at the last minute. Can I have three pens and three pieces of paper? You would have thought that that and was not a particularly tricky The okay, leftover commentary <laughs> notes of my most recent ex- Here's my first question. Uh, were here's the first question of the board. quiz, Stephen. Who is Gibraltar's coach? It is the Uruguayan Julio Ribas. And how old is he? <laughs> he is... In his early 60s, I would say he's 62. Yes, he is 62. That's very impressive. Well, these questions for the Football Fun are from that calendar. They are chosen by me over the course of the first half of the year. Pens and paper at the ready, even though Steve is very aggrieved that he had to go and find both. No conferring, no cheating. And of course, you can play along at home, so no Googling either. Round number one, question number one of seven is this. Do we need to put our names on the top of the sheet? No, here? I'm going to let you I'm going to let you mark oh. your own. All right, there okay. is going to be trustworthiness. Arsenal went a record 49 consecutive top flight league. Oh, by the way, this is from January uh, the 1st, a Tuesday of 2019. Arsenal went a record 49 consecutive top flight league games unbeaten from May 2003 to October 2004. But which English club went 42 matches unbeaten between November 1977 and November 1978? Do you all have your answers written? Yes. Yes. Question number two is from uh, Monday the 7th of January 2019. Who has played in a Merseyside derby, a North London derby, a Manchester derby, a Tyne Weir derby, and a West London derby, all in the Premier League? Which player has played in a Merseyside derby, a North London derby, a Manchester derby, a Tyne Weir derby, and a West London derby, in the Premier League. Oh my God! Could you give us a give us a, a kind of? I will give you their nationality. I'll give you their nationality. Their national. I'm not going to give you a clue based on the clue that you want, Chinch. I'm going to give you a clue, and it is <laughs> it is a Frenchman. Oh, what? French? Can you give us his first name and surname. 
Question number three comes from Monday, the 21st of January. As at the end of last season, so this is the previous season to the one that we've just had, who has managed the most Premier League clubs? Some of the grammar on these questions, by the way, are a little awry, but uh, still. At the end of last season, so 2017, 2018, mm. who has managed the most Premier League clubs? I will give you the total number of clubs. It is seven. Are they still in employment today? I'll give you a clue. They are not currently employed by one of the 20 Premier League clubs. Next question from Monday the 18th of February 2019. Who was the manager who made history on the 26th of December 1999 by fielding the first non-British starting 11? I'll give you the team if you're struggling. Have you written something down, Steve? Steve's written something down, so no clue. I, know, I, I can narrow it down to two. I can narrow it down to 14. Oh, no, in fact. I don't know, I don't know much about football, really. The next question is from March the 4th, a Monday. Luis Suarez is the only player to have scored three hat-tricks against the same club, but which unlucky Premier League side did he score them against? Got that one next. Yeah. <laughs> Move on quickly. <laughs> I like how the rules are determined <laughs> only by the person who writes it down quickest. I've only written one thing down, I'm sure that's that, wrong. And that was your name. <laughs> I've, never looked, I've never seen anybody having less fun than Chinch I, I is currently having. Football. I don't really have an interest in it. Chinch will be able to catch up later when all oh, the questions are about when you. When you score zero, I think it's pretty Do you know what, Chinch, the issue is in our game, in the commentary game, yeah, yeah, yeah. once you've done a match, mm. it's, it's like doing, a, doing an exam. It it's, it's, it's all that information has gone out of your head. If you were asked to do it again the following day, no good. The penultimate question of this first round... Wednesday, the 20th of March, 2019, provided our penultimate question in round one. What's the common connection between the following players? Enrique Mateos and Miguel Munoz, Madrid, in 1957. Alex Stepney, London, in 1968. Angelo Delivio, Rome, in 1996. And Nicholas Anelka, Paris, in 2000. <laughs> Chinch throws down his pen. <laughs> I'm not even bothering trying to answer that question. I think, it's really I, I, I think easy. That, I think I, I know the answer, yeah. Yeah. I really, I really accentuated the important part of that. We'll, we'll read it again then. What's the common connection between the following players? Enrique Mateos and Miguel Munoz, Madrid, 1957, as the plate goes a-tumbling. Alex Stepney, London, in 1968. Angelo Delivio, Rome, in 1996. And Nicholas Anelka, Paris, in 2000. You know when you sort of lost the will to live, yeah. so therefore you aren't functioning at anything like what should be your... I lost that on question two. Here we go with the final question of round number one. Holland defeated Ireland 2-0 in the last 16 at USA 94. But which two future Premier League stars scored the goals? That question, by the way, from the weekend of March the 30th and 31st. There's just one Probably, question Probably, I mean, Birdcamp, you'd expect. Was one of them Vim Yonk? Are we answering the question by writing it down or are we shouting it out loud? No, but I think I'm, I'm, I, this might give, give Chinch some hope. Mm. Why do you think I choose these questions? To give Chinch hope. I'm doing Birdcamp. Oh, mm. uh, well, maybe Mark Overmars. Do, do you realise you're talking? Yes. <laughs> Chinch, I'm conscious that you've written just one thing down. <laughs> no, I'm, anything, I'm pretty confident any, you're not going to win. I genuinely don't know any of the answers. So it's pointless you, you, you know the answer to that question. Because he's just said it out loud. So, um, Chinch, after those uh, those seven yep. seven cap questions, uh, yep. how do you feel uh, the game is going so far for you? One word. 
Why are you not speaking into uh, sorry, microphone? Sorry, sorry, I'm, I'm bereft. Um, I only, I've only written down one word, right, okay, and that well, was for the first question. Let's see how you get on. You're marking your own papers, mm. ladies and gentlemen, so honesty is required. Chinch yeah. is like when they do a celebrity version of a, of a popular quiz show, you know, around about Christmas time, and they just clearly would rather be anywhere else. <laughs> no, I love being here because of the chocolate fingers. But questions <laughs> about football from the past, even if it was yesterday, I'd be struggling. Chinch is like a shark. I am in many ways. He's got a dreadful haircut. <laughs> a hammerhead. So, question number one was, Arsenal went to record 49 consecutive top flight league games unbeaten from May 2003 to October 2004, which English club went 42 matches in the 70s. Chinch, what was your answer? I just wrote Liverpool. Forest. Forest. Forest is the right answer. So you can give yourselves one mark. Chinch, you can give yourself... I was going to write Forest, but I wrote Liverpool. Zero marks. The second question... Who has played in a Merseyside derby, a North London derby, a Manchester derby, a Timewear derby, and a West London derby in the Premier League? Did anybody write anything after I gave you the clue no, to I, the Frenchman? No, Frenchman, I'm really baffled by that. I wrote Louis Sahar. Then you have a point, Stephen. Oh, well done. Your face. Amazing. That is well amazing. I love how um, halfway through the contest you were absolutely furious at the, about the whole thing, and then after you've got one right, you punch the air, yeah. and you say, well, two for two. he's taking it a lot more seriously so now. Do you play for Spurs? Must have played for Spurs. He didn't say North London, did he? Yeah, North London. Well done, Steve. Question number three. As at the end of last season, so season 2017-2018, who has managed the most Premier League clubs with seven? Did I'm, anybody guess? I put Redknapp, but I think Red it's Nap. only five. I put Allardyce. Allardyce is correct, Stephen. Three out of three. Kinch, <laughs> no. did you write anything? I didn't write anything down didn't for write that. Anything that one. I he didn't write anything. Don't keep asking me, because I've not written anything <laughs> else down. He is the oldest, and yet he behaves most like the child. <laughs> The next question. Who was the manager who made history on Boxing Day 1999 by fielding the first non-British starting 11? Hullet. Hullet is an answer there, which is wrong. Wenger. Wenger is wrong. Chinch, yeah. what did you write? I'll go for Benitez. No, it was Benitez in 1999. Yeah. It was Gianluca Viali. Viali is the right answer. So nobody got that one. Luis Suarez is the only player to Norwich. have scored three. Uh, yes, Norwich. Norwich, correct. Well done. Uh, anybody else get Suarez? Uh, Norwich? Chinch, did you write no. down Norwich? No, you didn't write anything there. What's the common connection between the following players? Enrique Mateos, Miguel Munoz, Madrid in 1957, Alex Stepney, London in 1968, Angelo Roma in 1960, sorry, Rome in 1996, that's an important distinction, and Nicholas Anelka, Paris in 2000. Rory? They won the Champions League in the, the European Cup in the home city. It's correct. They won the Champions League or European Cup in the home city. Correct. Chinch, what did you write for that one? I didn't write anything down for that. Didn't write anything down for that. Could you speak into your microphone? Uh, I didn't write anything down Thank for that, you. Hugh. Uh, Holland defeated Ireland 2 0 in the last 16 at USA 94, we, but which two this. future Premier Bergkamp League stars? Bergkamp and. Overmars. Vim Yonk. Vim Yonk is the correct oh, answer. I got that wrong. The question chosen specifically so that Andy Hinchcliffe had a chance. Zero. And yet, what did you write for that, Chinch? Um, I didn't because Rory was shouting out the answer, so I felt it was inherently wrong to write down Bim Yonk. Let's have a recap of how people have done at the end of episode and part one. Stephen? A six out of seven. What? Six really? is the current score. Seriously? Six. Four. Four for Rory. And Chinch, how many did you so get? So which one did you get wrong? The manager one? Wenger, yeah. Uh, Wenger you get everything else Viali. right. Tremendous. Uh, zero. Right, thanks for updating us. I know we haven't required any of Chinch for this summer series, but um, if you do have a soccer story, <laughs> this is obviously what you're better at, rather yeah. than ask, answering trivia questions, mm. please send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Please subscribe, share, rate and review. And we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. And thank you to Steve, Rory and Zero Andy. And thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you all to enjoy very soon indeed. And just at that moment, the lawn mowing stops. There's an American flag in that garden. It's been... Yeah, I've noticed that. Mm. You notice it more from the bathroom window. It's the American Embassy. It's the American Embassy. Yeah, in Didsbury. It's local consulate. Yeah, Mm. of course it is.
for any of your sort of passport needs, Rory, you know, if you've got to get the sorted out for journeys mm. to home base, Do as that. it were. The home, home base, New York, home base. New York Times home base, not home base. The not DIY home base. shop. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> you don't need a, don't need a US visa to go to home base. <laughs> Although security is very tight these days. <laughs>